Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. Across the country, some states are pushing back against the power of regional transmission organizations, which keep the lights on and operate the nation's seven regional electric power systems. See, some state officials and consumer advocates in Maryland, West Virginia, and Kentucky say regional transmission organizations make it harder for states to control electricity rates, improve reliability, avoid power outages, and transition to renewables. So now they're fighting for more influence by enacting reforms through their state legislatures. But utilities argue that making decisions in private under the current RTO system is more effective and that reforms are necessary. So today, Politico's Catherine Morehouse on why some states are pushing back against regional transmission organizations. It's Tuesday, April 11th. So the power grid as a whole is kind of under a lot of stress right now. We have climate change-fueled storms that are worsening reliability problems. Some areas have seen spiking power bills in recent years. And there are also complications with the energy transition. Some states want to see their power systems cut carbon faster, and some think that the energy transition is already moving too quickly. And so all of this creates individual policy concerns for states, which makes sense. That's their job to kind of address these issues and concerns. But what states are increasingly realizing is that the power grid is not something that you can easily control from the state capital, because in most parts of the country, the grid is operated regionally by these organized power markets that are run by stakeholders with mostly commercial interests in the grid. And those stakeholders are the ones who kind of set rules for how that system is run. So for a state that's kind of trying to slow down or speed up the energy transition, for instance, they're increasingly finding that their ability to do that is limited in part because because of these organizations that run the power system. And how are we seeing states now push back against that? Yeah, so I kind of highlighted three examples of different states that are trying to assert more control, and they all happen to be in the nation's largest regional grid operator, which is the PJM interconnection. So we can start with Maryland, and in Maryland, they've had concerns with PJM that stretch back a few years now. They basically feel like the rules that govern its market are discriminatory toward renewables and non-traditional resources, such as energy storage. And those market rules are created under such a complex and opaque system within the organization that lawmakers don't really feel like they even know where to begin to unravel those rules and understand why some resources are treated differently in the marketplace. So they've been moving a bill that would require Maryland utilities to disclose how they vote within PJM on some of these rules just to kind of give lawmakers a better sense of whether its own utilities are trying to comply with the climate laws that Maryland has or whether those utilities are voting for rules that make that transition harder. Another case is in West Virginia, where state regulators have filed a complaint with FERC because PJM members voted to block regulators from attending a certain reoccurring meeting where utilities and other members are kind of able to meet one-on-one with the organization's board of directors. So it's kind of a critical meeting in their eyes. And their concern mirrors Maryland's, where they basically feel like they have the right to at least know how their utilities are talking about and voting on these issues. 
And then finally, there's Kentucky, which is basically concerned that the energy transition is happening too quickly and they want to have more control over retirement of coal-fired power plants in particular. Now, Kentucky is also a big coal supplier, so I think that certainly plays a role in the state's interest here. But Kentucky's utilities were forced to implement rolling blackouts this winter, which was largely attributed to frozen natural gas supplies. And the lawmaker who introduced this bill told me that he, like some of these other states, just basically feels like he has no say in how the system functions. And this bill is in part a reaction to that lack of control he feels when it comes to explaining how they keep the lights on or didn't keep the lights on during these extreme weather events. Interesting. And stepping back here, how do regional transmission organizations or RTOs work and how and why were they authorized to begin with? FERC issued an order right at the turn of the century, literally December of 1999, called Order 2000, and that incentivized utilities to join and help create these regional transmission organizations. And what FERC was trying to do was continue a movement that started earlier in the 90s of breaking apart traditional vertically integrated utility monopolies. They envisioned kind of a more efficient system where utilities are competing to keep power prices low in these kind of pseudo market constructs. But under that belief was kind of this idea that utilities would naturally check themselves under market force, just pressure of market forces. And so FERC created a system where utilities effectively run the markets that they're participating in. The rules that govern the markets are dictated by members, and those members are split into different voting sectors to try and diversify perspectives. But the majority of members are companies that stand to profit from the decisions made within the RTO. And that is increasingly a frustration for states who have certain public policy goals that might not necessarily align with a utility's profit motives. Right. And you're also reporting that utilities are rebuffing reform efforts in the states. So what are you seeing there? It's interesting because I've covered a couple of different cases of RTO transparency, and there does seem to be kind of a consistent argument that utilities make. Basically, what they say is that if you make these meetings, all of their votes, all of their discussions public, that kind of undermines their ability to have open and honest dialogue and maybe have conversations that are more controversial. And they're worried there might be misunderstanding of what they're trying to do. So Exelon which owns a bunch of Maryland utilities, testified against the Maryland bill and said that the lack of recorded voting is, quote, intentional to encourage consensus building and brainstorming, unquote. And in the West Virginia case, a bunch of utilities from all over PJM's footprint also opposed the regulator's complaint, and they said they want to be able to have these discussions, quote, outside of the public spotlight without the concern of anything being misquoted out of context and without the need to posture for a viewing audience, unquote. And the response that I kind of hear to that from regulators and lawmakers is that at the end of the day, these are public policy decisions they are debating. Electricity is a central pillar of our society. Everyone uses it and it will continue to become even more so as we electrify vehicles, for instance. And so I I think for the people who are interested in protecting consumers from higher costs, fighting climate change, and making sure the lights don't go out. They just are asking for more insight into how these decisions are made. So I'll certainly be keeping an eye on how individual states continue to respond to this. But I'm also really interested to see how FERC responds to the West Virginia filing in particular, because at the end of the day, it's really FERC who created these organizations, and they have the most power to make changes to those organizations. So they're action here will be really significant, I think. 
Also, on Monday, the Energy Department proposed lowering the calculation used to determine the equivalent fuel economy of electric vehicles by more than 70%. The miles per gallon equivalent metric is used to compare the fuel efficiency of vehicles running on alternative energy sources, and it was last updated in 2000. The department argued correcting an overvaluation of electric vehicles will prompt automakers to step up fuel economy in their internal combustion vehicles and improve overall fleet efficiency. But automakers argue they should actually be getting more credit for electric vehicle sales, not less. DOE's plan comes just days before EPA is expected to propose significantly reducing the greenhouse gas emission standards for model year 2027 vehicles and beyond in an effort to substantially boost electric vehicle sales over the coming decade. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron the human energy company. Chevron is developing renewable diesel made with biofeedstock that can help reduce the life cycle carbon emissions of heavy-duty transport fuels today. Learn more at chevron.com.